Hello, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Thursday, January 26th, 2023. I'm Mike Cachopoli. All right, how's everyone doing on this Thursday? How's everyone doing? This is a, 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 a big event for a couple of reasons. One, this is my 300th show. Um, I, didn't, I didn't get any uh, noisemakers or anything, but it's my 300th show, 300th podcast. And um, also, I'm having a special guest on today. Thanks for the thumbs up for that. I'm having a special guest on today who I had on, on, a, on a previous podcast before I was on call in about a year ago, almost a year ago, really early on when I just had started this podcast. Uh, her name is Jackie Berlin, and she is um, one of the founders of Mothers Against Drug Addiction and Death. And you may have seen her on various shows on Fox News. She's been on, you know, The Morning with uh, Todd Pyro. She's been on uh, uh, Tucker Carlson. Um, and I'm going to welcome in right now because she's right here. Uh, Lynn. Hey, Jackie, how are you? Hey, I'm great. Thank you. Everything yeah, no problem. Everything's working perfectly. You were right there, right on time. <laughs> <laughs> Good. I've been waiting. I've been looking yeah. forward to chatting with you, Mike. Me too. I, I guess it was almost a year ago that we, we had spoken. And uh, we had previously spoken because your organization had uh, become very popular for putting up a billboard, a billboard in Union Square in San Francisco. And the billboard that you put up had was warning tourists, basically, about how it's so easy for young people to get really dirt cheap fentanyl on the streets here, right? Yes, that's yeah. right. We were really frustrated because uh, Mayor London Breed had um, opened the Lincoln Center. She declared a um, state of emergency. And then nothing really changed after a few months. And she ended the state of emergency. And then she went to Europe to tell the people in Europe to promote San Francisco as a tourist destination. Right. And we were, we were so frustrated that she ended the state of emergency and nothing had changed. Nothing had changed. And as we have seen since then, in about a year since that point, Nothing has changed. Well, things have changed. It's gotten worse here, hasn't it, Jackie? I mean, we've seen I've seen the statistics of the numbers of fentanyl overdoses per month, and they keep on going up and up and up. Yeah, it's really it's really devastating. It's really sad. Um, my co co-founder, Gina McDonald, um, sent me a picture today, some pictures of because she was in San Francisco and she took some pictures of in the tenderloin and they were just heartbreaking. There's just, it is absolutely, you know, getting worse. There's more people on the streets than ever um, in using, you can walk through them and they're like, you know, 20 people deep. And now there's um, ISO on the streets as well, which is even more is another analog of fentanyl and it's even stronger than the fentanyl that's been on the streets. And this is called ISO? ISO. Yeah. That's the short name for it. Um, ISO diazepine. I don't really know, but ISO is the short name for it. Right, 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 right. Um, and is, and this, is this, is this also, uh, to your knowledge, is this ISO also known to be coming primarily through the border, through the southern border? Is that how it's getting yes. in here? 
It yes. Okay. Yeah. yeah, it okay. it is. Um, now, I talked to my son last night. Um, he's an addict, a fentanyl addict on the streets of San Francisco. And he told me, he said, yeah, ISO is out here now. He told me that he avoids it. Um, it costs more than the fentanyl. It's $60 instead of $20. Mm. Um, but he says it's really dangerous because it's a lot more powerful than the fentanyl. But even more powerful than fentanyl, which we've come to know is incredibly powerful. I mean, children are dying from taking one pill that's poisoned with a little bit of it, right? I mean, yeah. That's, that's, so this is this is even more powerful than that. It's hard to believe. But your son is co named Corey, right? Your son's name is Corey. That's correct. And, yeah. and he, people, you know, I, I've talked about your situation in the past, a couple of shows leading up to this. And I wanted to explain to people because they have this, a lot of people have this preconceived notion that all homeless people need is a home. But your son has a home. And so it's some kind of, it's, it's a little confusing to people that you live in the Bay Area. Your son has a home to go to if he wants to, but basically chooses not to. Is that correct? That's correct. Um, it's because people that are using usually need to stay close to their dealers. Well, it does depend on what they're using. But if you are a fentanyl addict and you smoke, smoke fentanyl, you need to use every two to three hours. Um, and a lot of people don't realize that. Incredible. So if you give a fentanyl addict a home or an apartment in San Francisco, a lot of times what we found is they're also keeping their tents on the street near their dealers um, because it's difficult for them to go back and forth. I mean, they don't have, um, you know, transportation. Uh, they don't have, they don't have a car. They don't have the money to readily, you know, get on transportation. So a lot of addicts like to stay close to their dealers because uh, the great one of their greatest fears, obviously, is withdrawals. Right. Um, and if they're too far away from their dealer and they can't get to them in time to get the drugs that they need, they're going to get dope sick. What so this is so the addiction is so bad to fentanyl well, drug, of course, in general drug addiction, but fentanyl so bad that people like your son would actually choose to be homeless, right? Would actually choose to live on the streets or in a shelter. Just to be close to their addiction. Yes. Yes. That, that, that's an just incredibly powerful addiction. Thinking about it logically, of course, most people would say no. Why would someone put themselves through, especially the streets of San Francisco, which we know are very dangerous now, right? Very dangerous, very dirty. Right. And, and yet choosing to do this because the addiction is so strong that he can't be too far away from it, too far away from where the drugs are available. Right. No, it, it's heartbreaking because they are absolutely in bondage. And I mean, it takes over their mind and, and their body. And literally, so not only is the addiction so strong that it is keeping them on the streets and out of a home, but it is also causing them to ignore their own health crises, uh, these drugs are causing them to get there. There's also, so the thing about the, the drugs on the street is there's, they're not pure. Um, so they're being mixed with other things and there has been, um, 
xylazine, which is an elephant tranquilizer that's been put into, that's getting into the drug supply and it's causing sores, um, really bad sores on addicts. And if you try to encourage an addict to go, to go to the hospital and get help for that, we've seen that they don't want to leave their dealer to get the intravenous antibiotics that they need for these sores that they're getting on their body because their addiction is so strong. I mean, it literally makes them not even care about, right. You know, about themselves, which is, which is absolutely heartbreaking. And when I talk to my son, I mean, he tells me, he says, mom, I don't want my life to be like this. He says, but I don't know how to change it. I don't know how to get, free from it but why 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 can't he get into treatment so uh, uh, there's a lot of different reasons why um so my son wanted to get on methadone and so i took him to get on methadone and he got turned away because they didn't have anybody to do intake when we came in. I've talked to other people who have been turned away over three or four times trying to get on methadone in the city because they don't have the staffing to do the intake. They have to have a doctor do the intake for methadone. Um, The laws on the books are that you need to get it within 72 hours of requesting it. But San Francisco isn't holding, isn't honoring that as well as they don't honor many of the laws that they're supposed to be honoring. Um, so that's just one example. My son did end up getting on methadone, um, but it has taken a while. Then we did get him when he, there was a time when he, um, we were getting him into Walden House during um, coronavirus, and they said that he had to, this was actually only like five months ago, mm-hmm. they said that he had to have a 10-day quarantine before he could actually go into the full-on program. Um, and I'm like, okay. This, I said, and, this, he, and this is just, this isn't like in the middle of COVID. This is just a few, five months ago. This is Right, like, exactly. Right. It's yeah. only five months ago. Right. Um, and I said a 10-month quarantine, what? I mean, excuse me, 10 day quarantine. I said, he's been vaccinated and I, we had his card. We have the proof that he's been, you know, vaccinated against, but they they said it didn't make a difference. He still had to be in quarantine. Um, so I said, he's going to be in this 10 day quarantine without what kind of services is he going to get? Is he going to get counseling? Is he going to get anything to help him? Cause obviously those first few days are going to be the most difficult for him going through withdrawals. Of course. Um, So anyway, he went ahead and attempted it. They ended up housing him with someone. He called me after he'd been there for four days and said, mom, this person, and I could hear hear the person in the background. He said, this my roommate is screaming and I can't handle it. And there's nobody is doing anything about it. And he says, I just have to leave. I have to get out of this room. So you can understand, you know, he's going through withdrawals. This other person is losing his mind. He's stuck in this room when he's used to being outside. Right. So he just left. He couldn't handle it anymore. 
So they put him in a they put they put him in a place with a crazy person, basically. They put him in a person who's mentally ill. Yeah. Um, they put him in they so this is this is two years <laughs> this is more than two years into COVID. He had his yes. vaccinations. Yes. And they're still saying he has to do a ten day quarantine. Yes. A ten day ten two more than two years into COVID with all the vaccinations. Mm-hmm. Ten day quarantine. So he goes and he goes and they put him in a place with a mentally ill person. After four days he can't take anymore, he has to leave. They go to quarantine, right? Right. So, so they they it seems as though they make it they're making it as difficult as possible. They make it really out. difficult, and yeah. then they told them, "Thanks for wasting our time." Thanks. He wasted their time. I see. Right I see. when he, he left. Right, right. He wasted their time. Um, people might be thinking, how, "How old is Corey?" By the way, he's thirty-two. He's thirty-two. What were the circumstances around him Leading getting? Up? Yeah, get, getting addicted to 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 fentanyl. Okay, so he started um, smoking marijuana in high school, as many kids ex- do, <laughs> experimenting. But we didn't allow that. It obviously wasn't legal back then, and um, the school didn't allow it. He had brought some marijuana to school. And he got in trouble for that. So we did a whole bunch of counseling. Um, He had to go through a program in Pleasanton. Um, He went to school in Livermore. That's where he grew up. Um, So he went to Access um, Health in Pleasanton. He did counseling with me, counseling by himself. He had to be drug tested every week. And um, we also did family counseling. And this was just for marijuana. And I say just, but, um, you know, for some people, it's not a problem. But for others who have the genetic disposition to addiction, it can lead to other things. Um, So anyway, he was doing well for a while. Um, You know, he was working and everything. But come a senior year in high school, he started smoking again and he was bringing the drugs into the house. He wasn't following the rules of the house. So we told him when he graduated, we said, if you aren't following the rules of the house, you're going to have to move out. Um, Because we had younger kids at home and we felt he was, you know, negatively influencing them and bringing things into the house that we didn't want in the house. Um, So, he graduated high school. He was working. He always worked. He's, he always he was working from the time he was 14, 15 years old. So he had a good job. We helped him put a down payment. And his brother, older brother wanted to move out too. So we helped them get an apartment, put a down payment. They were both working and they were taking care of the apartment. And, um, well, Corey ended up, started selling marijuana um, out of the apartment. And he got in trouble with the landlord for doing that. Um, And they wanted them to move out of the apartment. Then he ended up getting caught. He was like 18. He was only 18 years old, but he sold marijuana to a 17 year old. So he got charged with selling to a minor. Yeah. Um, Technicality, basically, I know, but that's. (laughs) Yeah. You could be one month older, but it doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. He sold to a minor. 
and it happened to be the minor of a law enforcement person. Um, so he ended up going to jail for a little while for that. Um, and just things started to snowball from there. So they actually put him in jail for selling marijuana to a 17 year old. He did, he did jail time for that. Just for, just for a few days. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't for a long time, but, but then that started, you know, his record, they charged him with felonies, um, and possession for sales and all of that. So, uh, so, so, they think, then, so, so things start to snowball one thing on top of another, basically, and it's like a downward spiral, right? Is exactly. Yeah. 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 And I think he started to feel bad about himself. And Corey also, he had some, some auditory processing issues where he actually, the way he learned was different th- from the way most people learned. Um, he needed to have like, he, he couldn't, it was hard for him to take a test by reading it. He needed someone to read it to him. Right. Okay. Um, and he had some, he had some ADD attention deficit disorder and stuff. So he had some things that were going on with, you know, learning and he had anxiety. He was always my child that had the hardest time making, um, lemonade out of lemons. Right. Right. Um, I used to do, relaxation exercises with him and mindfulness, though I didn't know mindfulness was a thing back then. Um, but I used to have him visualize himself to help him relax on a beach with a nice cool breeze and all this stuff and trying to help him, you know, give him tools for coping with anxiety, um, and depression. And I think that's what he was, you know, when he started smoking marijuana, I'm sure that's what he was doing. He was self-medicating. Right. Um, so anyway, he ended up meeting a girl. She has very sweet, beautiful young lady, but she, she was raised by her great grandma because her parents were struggling with addiction and they weren't able to raise her. Um, so they met and fell in love and they're both working and they got an apartment together and, um, they were with a quote unquote friend who was smoking heroin. And, um, this friend offered it to his girlfriend. She tried it and she liked it. And she kept telling him, this is great. You've got to try it he was always against using hard drugs. Um, but he had been smoking marijuana and he'd been drinking some beers and, you know, his girlfriend was encouraging him and we don't blame her at all. And he doesn't, you know, either, but he said, if I hadn't been smoking marijuana and drinking a few beers, I would never have said yes, but I eventually gave in to her asking me and I tried it and he liked the way it made him feel. Um, and it was downhill from then because he started chasing that feeling. Right, 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 right. Exactly. Um, now, so right now, so he's currently now on the streets of San Francisco, basically. Does does he, does he go into any shelters or does he just spend his time on the streets? 
mostly on the streets. He goes on BART and he's in the South Bay a lot, but he goes, he goes into San Francisco all the time because that's where he gets the drugs from. Okay. Um, but he doesn't like the whole drug scene and he likes to stay more to himself than hang out with the people there in San Francisco. Right. There's very few people that I'll hang out with. So he will leave and go into the South Bay, um, you know, and just find a place to stay there because he feels safer there. He says, if you stay in San Francisco and you fall asleep there or you pass out, he says that it's so dangerous and, and you'll wake up and you won't have anything. Like everything, everything will have been stolen from you. Sure. He yeah. even used to just go, go to Oakland and stay in Oakland because he was safer in Oakland than he was in San Francisco with which kind of blew my mind when he first told me that a few years ago. I want to remind everyone, I'm talking with Jackie Berlin, uh, one of the founders of Mothers Against Drug Deaths. You can actually go to mothersagainstdrugdeaths.org and you'll see some stories by, from, from mothers and parents in, in, uh, who have sons who have uh, sons and daughters who either are currently addicted or have died from fentanyl uh, overdoses. Some, some really, really tough stories to read through, but I think people need to do it. People need to have a better understanding uh, of this issue uh, and that it, it's do you find Jackie that in in your experience through this now with your son who's addicted to fentanyl that a lot of people fall into the same category of having sons or daughters who have a home to go to but just would rather be close to their addiction as opposed to people who just lost contact with everybody I there's definitely a mixture um, I have met a lot of parents who you know, through my work who really love their children and want to help them get well um, and have gone to the city to try and bring them home and help them get well. But they, they yes, their children refuse to leave. And then there is a group of people that are on the streets that have no one. Um, you know, so I don't know what the percentages are, but you would be surprised at how many of the people on the streets have people that that still love them and, and want to help them and would let them come home and help them get well um, if they if they would choose to do that. Right. Now, is there any way uh, that you have found that so there's there's no way the city can force people into rehab, right? There's no, there's no forcing people into treatment. Is that true? Does someone barely have to get arrested in order to end up in some kind of a treatment? Is that usually the way it works? Yes. And I've actually shown police officers in San Francisco my son's photo and asked them to arrest him. And I have to say that I don't want, to, I don't want the war on drugs. I don't want addicts to have to be arrested and go into jail. And I don't and, – and I believe that police officers don't want that either because – in the jail, I mean, they're not trained, you know, for all of this. So we really need to have an alternative. But right now we we don't have good alternatives. Um, and when my son would get arrested, those would be the times when he would get sober and get some clarity and decide that he wanted to stay sober. Um but, you know, because we don't have the option to force somebody into rehabilitation, we're left with either them getting arrested or them staying on the streets until they decide that that's what they want to do is get well. Right now, no one's getting arrested because 
in San Francisco, they're not arresting for possession. Right. They're not arresting for use of drugs. They're not arresting for paraphernalia. They're not arresting for petty shoplifting. And these are things that would normally get my son put into jail where I would have an opportunity to help him, you know, get well, where he would choose to try again to get well. Um, and this isn't a drug which makes people violent, right? Fentanyl is the opposite, right? It kind of makes people more zombie-like. Is that, is that right? So it's it, not like it's not like the kind of drug that's going to make people do violent things. Right. It makes them fall asleep. Oftentimes it just makes them really mellow and chilled out. I have seen on Twitter where people are like, oh, another fentanyl addict. And they're showing somebody who is having a psychotic episode. And I'm like, that's not a fentanyl addict. Right. Um, right, right, that's right. Who's on methamphetamine. Um, you know, or even really high doses of marijuana that has, I mean, high doses of THC. THC right. Um, right. Yeah. A fentanyl addict doesn't doesn't usually go crazy like that. Do you, do you understand uh, having a son who's addicted to fentanyl? What the, but we know certain like uh, drugs uh, that people can comprehend. Okay. Cocaine makes people excited. Hi, you know, the, the idea of, of crystal meth, once again, also idea of, of, of being able to stay up long hours and it gives you a high, it makes you feel very energetic. What is the, what is the addiction to this drug which puts you in a very sleepy or zombie-like state. Do you know the, have you learned the, the physiological addiction to this? Well, I, I know that when it's, when they first start doing it, doing an opiate, it's a euphoric feeling. You feel like all your anxiety and all your worries in the world are lifted off of you and you just feel good and happy and peaceful. It's, it's kind of like a morphine kind of a thing, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Like exactly like yeah. that. Um, and unfortunately, that high doesn't last for very long. Like, I think it's probably only a few weeks. And they're constantly trace chasing that high again um, to get that. And they have to use higher and higher doses to get that high. But eventually it gets to a point where they're not even getting high. They're just using to not get sick. Okay. So it's, I mean, Corey told me, it's, you know, it's, a, it's like a cruel joke. You think you know, this is going to make me feel better, but it only does for a few weeks. And then you just have to keep doing it. So you're not sick um, because the withdrawals are absolutely hideous and it's not just physical, it's emotional and mental withdrawals as well. Um, if you, if you ever, if you have anxiety and you can imagine it, you know, a thousand fold when you're withdrawing from fentanyl, that's what I'm told it feels like. Um, incredibly uncomfortable. And then what's sad about it is when you have a choice of either, you know, continuing in that horrible feeling or going and getting more of the drug to relieve that feeling, obviously most addicts are going to go get that. And I think, I mean, it's, if you liken it to okay, I should, probably shouldn't eat, you know, French fries or a donut, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> right, 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 right. You know, yeah. and, but so much stronger, the temptation 
for an addict because it's literally it's literally overwhelming and physical and emotional and mental these drugs the way they take over you so that's more than i'm not going to eat that donut you know or i'm not going to look at my phone for 2 hours even if it's binging at me i'm going to ignore it and i sit there and i go i am addicted to my phone i, I it's know hard. I, yeah. yeah that it's that hard. feeling i know that feeling like i know i know that yeah feeling. it's hard yeah. for me look at my phone when I hear it binging. Right. I know. So, I know. So you can imagine something that's a thousand times worse. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then San Francisco keeps doing things to continue to enable that addiction by making it easier and easier for addicts to continue in their addiction. And they want, they keep insisting that they want you open safe consumption sites is the word one of the words they use for it i call them drug use sites but and yeah, i don't this is, this is an I, enabling thing right this is not helping someone get off this is enabling them to do it right this is making it easier basically it's making it right. more comfortable right i mean that's what it's doing exactly they say it's to prevent overdose deaths but but, but, but isn't the answer to isn't isn't the answer if you want to prevent overdoses to get people off the drugs? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. yeah. Uh, so, Daniel D Daniel has a question for you. Um, okay. He wants to know: Can you speak about what some call the homelessness industrial complex and how it drains resources that could be used for recovery? Uh, that's a very good question, Daniel. Um, what's What's so crazy about our country, and especially in California, is that people like to say, or a lot of people like to say, that homelessness is only the result of the inflation and not there's no affordability of housing. And that's just absolutely, in my opinion, not true because I would say 90% of the people that are homeless is because of mental illness and drug addiction. The other 10%, um, usually they're only homeless for a short period of time because mo most of us have, there are safety nets to catch them. And a lot of them have friends and family. So they couch surf for a little while until they, you know, can get the public assistance and they have the ability to go ahead and get that public assistance. Um, but someone who is mentally ill or drug addicted, they don't have the ability to go get those um, that assistance because they're spending so much time ill, obviously, or they're spending time chasing their drugs so they don't have time to go sit in an office. Also, if we continue to try to build out single um, apartments, for everybody who is quote unquote homeless, there's not enough money to put into the treatment and the rehabilitation um, and the mental health services that we need. And it's not actually, it's actually a really horrible place to put someone who is a drug addict into one of these places by themselves where they use and no one can see that they've overdosed and can assist them.
Um, and, and also, as I mentioned earlier, a lot of these people, if you give them their own apartment, they're also, they're still going to keep a tent on the street near their dealer. So they're, they're actually, even if you give them an apartment, they're going to keep a tent closer to where the drugs are. Exactly. To, so it's not, so it doesn't lessen the fact, I mean, <laughs> they're not going to stay in that place the whole time anyway. So there's kind of like a dual residency that they're keeping. Um, I have a friend who lives in LA County and she's studied a lot of this um, because they do a similar thing in LA. And um, she found that you can give someone an apartment, but they won't always be in it. Um, and when they are, it's not safe for them to be there. So my belief is that we need to have shelter for people not necessarily housing. They shouldn't all have their own apartment. But yes, we should have some kind of shelter for them so they can get in out of the elements. Um, and that shelter should also come with, a, you know, prerequisites for getting better. Um, so moving you, like a shel you mean the shelter um, specifically for addicts, right? Um, and and they would have the resources there to also assist them in getting off that drug. Is that the idea? Absolutely, yes. And it's right. not like it's it's not like it's something new. <laughs> you know, it's right. something that's been done in the past. Um, it hasn't necessarily been done as well as it could be done. And there are a lot of examples of how European countries um, have handled this situation, but we're not using those models. Um, we're going, oh, they have safe consumption sites, but they have a whole wraparound of services built out. They have treatment and recovery services. Right, there are other things to go along with that. It's not just those sites, right? There's right. other issues, right. right. Right, but in the United States, we just keep doubling down on enablement and not on treatment and recovery. We keep putting our resources into enabling saying, well, we just want to keep them alive until they decide to get well. I can tell you that someone who is an addict, I don't know a lot about being addicted to meth right now, although I know that it also has a lot of fentanyl in it. But I can tell you right now that we have not caught up with the drugs that are on the streets right now. We have not caught up with how that should be treated. Do you th what is do you have a personal opinion about why we're not are the politicians are not talking about this more, especially in the cities like ours in Chicago and New York and L.A.? Why why we're not putting more resources? Why they're not putting more resources into this? I mean, they they have to know by now it's an issue. Do you do you have any do you have any ideas that they have any personal agenda as to why they don't talk more about this? I think there are so many things that have come into play to make this cocktail of a disaster. Um, the nonprofits get so much money and there isn't a lot of oversight and they want to keep, continue to keep doing what they're doing because it's the easy thing to do and the money keeps coming in. Um, 
the also the whole um looking down on police officers basically demoralizing them and i agree there are some bad police officers and and that need definitely needed to be looked at and taken care of but demoralizing the police force the way we have has really really made it difficult to have the enforcement that we need so the numbers are really down for that then we had covid which really took away from our workforce we don't have the training um in place or the staff in place for the treatment beds um but as far as it's kind of it's it's kind of mind blowing to me because I've talked with people on the board of supervisors in San Francisco, and some of them really understand and really get it. And then the the other half, or probably two thirds of the board of supervisors, my mind is just blown because I don't understand where their thinking is that they shouldn't be putting more money. I think they realize that it's, it is going to take time to build up those services. So maybe they're thinking the safe consumption site and the harm reduction in the meantime, we need to throw money at that because that's something we can do fast and in the short term because this other stuff is going to take a lot longer to build out. So... When you go up in front of the Board of Supervisors, when you talk, have you spoken to the mayor directly? We have not gotten an audience with the mayor, no. The mayor has not met with your organization at all yet? No, we've asked. and We've only been successful meeting with the district attorney, who we absolutely love, the new district attorney, Brooke Jenkins, um, and meeting with Board of Supervisors, um, Mandelman, and Dorsey, Hillary Ronan actually spent three hours with us, which we were very grateful for. Um, well, I've had my issues I, with Brooke Jenkins lately, a couple of things she's done, but I'm glad she met with you at least. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a positive. That, that's yes. Definitely a positive. Um, yes. So, so you it, met with Ronan, you met with her, but the mayor, the mayor of the city, London Breed, has not met with you. No. No. Okay. No, I think she's mad at us about the billboard in Union Square. <laughs> well, you know, some people are upset about her trip to Europe, you know, her, her vacation, her free vacation to Europe. Yeah, you know, exactly. Things. You know, Jack, I, 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 Daniel has one more question I'll get to, but, you know, I just, I was just walking back from the Metreon movie theater a couple of hours ago, so 9.15 at night, and it's a 10-minute walk to my apartment. And I, I, I in that 10 minutes... At 9.15 at night, on a Thursday night, I, I must have passed at least four or five people who were totally mentally ill. Now, it's uh, – it, and, and I, don't, I don't live in a bad part of town. You know, we're not, I, didn't, I didn't walk through the Tenderloin. So mm-hmm. we're getting to the point in this city where there are so many mentally ill people on the streets. And, of course, we, we know that, you know, drug addiction is a mental illness – it's a it's a physical addiction, a mental addiction, as you had said. Do you think there is any kind of effort in this city, in San Francisco, to actually get mentally ill people off the streets? 
No, absolutely not. And it's really heartbreaking. I have a friend who, I have a friend who goes and looks for people who are missing, whose family is looking for them. She'll look for them on the streets of San Francisco. And we were, she had been looking for someone for a couple of years for this one mom who lives out of state. And I was with her because we were also looking for my son, Corey. And we actually found this woman's son. Um, he was completely naked. He was in front of a Safeway. And he had a box of cereal. It looks like someone had given him a box of cereal. He was eating the cardboard. Oh, my goodness. It was cold outside and it was starting to get dark. And um, my friend tried talking to him. He thought he was God. She talked to him about his mom. He thought his mom was dead. Um, so we called the police or and they have these teams that come out supposedly for mentally, mentally ill people or if, you know, other than having the police come out, but hot teams and stuff, but they weren't available because they're not a 24 seven thing, I guess yet. So the police came out and they talked to him and they said that he wasn't a harm to himself or others. So there wasn't anything they could do. And we looked at them and we said, okay, he doesn't know who he is. He's completely naked and it's cold out here and he's eating a cardboard box. And he's not a harm to himself. He's not harming That's himself. They said, yeah. 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 Um, they said, well, they, they, they said that this, we, he's, they said that people are naked in the Castro all the time. It's a different kind of thing. Come on. Could you just give me common sense at all? I talk about that all the time on this it's, show. So I know. It was so frustrating. You know, and the police are looking at us. And I, you know what? I think they're saying what they're being told by their supervisors. We could tell that they did not like this at all. But that they were not allowed to take this person they would have to get, it would be against his will to put him in the back of the car and take him to a hospital. And they were not allowed to do that. Um, so that's why they don't. So they just and leave. There's, and there's no, uh, uh, and there's no appetite for that in the city with the, with, with the people who live in the city, right? For the, the, I mean, that's what I've argued on the show many times that the, the people want, change right they want a cleaner city they want a safer city they want people to get help but I, where's the but there's really no appetite for that kind of a thing here is there to actually no, force people off the streets so i would i would absolutely ask the people of san francisco what do you want i mean do you want your police officers to take him to force him into the the car and take him to the hospital or do you want them to leave him there naked in front of your safeway like what, what do they want? Um, and, and this mom, and then we, my friend called the mom and she's trying to get conservatorship of her son. But you know what? In, in California, you can't get conservatorship unless they have been, unless you can show a pattern 
of 5150s showing that they haven't been able to take care of themselves and they're mentally ill. How does she get a record of 5150s if the police refuse or nobody refuses to take him to the hospital? So she is, her hands are tied on trying to get conservatorship because there's no record showing that he is ill in this way. Do you, do you worry that Corey, your son, is going to slip into some kind of mental illness? Yes. It's going to be caused by the, the combination of the drug addiction, the homelessness, all that stuff. That often, that, 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 that terrible cocktail that often leads people to go over the edge. Yes, I am. I definitely worry about um, him getting, you know, something in his drugs that is going to really mess with him and mess with his head. I talked with him for an hour last night and he sounded amazing. I mean, he was so lucid. He was talking to me about the analogs that are on the street. He told me about the ISO and how he's staying away from it. He's actually on methadone right now. Um, and I am seeing improvements in him because he's been using, he's been on methadone. He says he's been using a lot less fentanyl. Um, with methadone, you're not supposed to be using fentanyl, but they gradually increase your methadone. Um, so when you first start doing methadone, it's not enough right. to keep the withdrawals away. Um, but anyway, so he sounded really good. But yes, I am. I am definitely worried. I mean, Corey has been severely stabbed twice while he was on the streets. Oh, my goodness. He was stabbed twice. Yeah. Yeah. Once he almost died, I didn't even know that he was in the hospital. Um, he called me after like five days when he finally woke up. I hadn't heard from him, so I was worried I was calling around. I was looking, you know, checking the jails, checking the hospitals. But if you're a victim of a crime, you, they don't use your real name in the hospital. They put you in on an alias. So I couldn't find him even if, you know, I call and ask for Corey Sylvester and he may very well have been at that hospital, but he wouldn't show up because he's there under an alias. Um, so he could have died without me even knowing right. after that happened. I got him a, a medic bracelet with my phone number on it. Um, so that someone could get a hold of me, you know, yeah. ended up in the hospital again, but people on the streets aren't able to keep anything. So he ended up losing that. And then I wanted to, this sounds crazy, but I wanted to take him to a tattoo parlor and get my phone number tattooed on his chest. Wow. Um, but it was during COVID and all the tattoo parlors were closed. Right. Right. Does he have a, does he have a cell phone that he uses to, to contact you? Um, sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, but he, uh, yeah. It's stolen and lost and I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so there's absolutely no consistency. I allow him to talk, to call me collect. He, he tries to not do that. He tries. To, I told him it's fine, but he doesn't like doing that. When he found out it's $15 and 99 cents. Every time he calls me, he was like, no mom. <laughs> I'm like, I'd rather hear from you. Right. Right. 
he'll try using other people's phones or he'll gather change and he'll call me and we'll talk for three minutes. And then he's like, I got to get some more quarters, mom. Right. And I'm like, just call me collect. (laughs) Another, another question from Daniel is speaking about Corey. How how often does Corey's recovery been thwarted simply because of a lack of resources and how much is the lack of resources due to inappropriate use of allocated resources? In San Francisco, which is a specific place that I can speak to, it's it's huge. Um, like I said, we tried to get him on methadone and they, they sent us away. And then because they didn't have anybody available. And then once we got him on like you have to go through a long process to get on methadone. It actually takes hours. Um, and then once we got him on that, they told us, cause he was going to go to Walden house and he had to be there by one o'clock or they wouldn't take him. And so we were trying to get him, get his methadone completed to get him over. Cause then he has a th- two to three hour evaluation to get into Walden house. So this is literally an hour's long process, like six hour long process, easily six to seven hour long process to get on either Suboxone or Methadone and then get, do your interview to get into this treatment place, which is absolutely ridiculous because you are asking someone who has been on the streets and and outside to be in a small room being asked lots of very, very personal questions because they ask about rape and all kinds of stuff um, and what you do to make your money and all kinds of stuff. Um, Like literally six, seven hours while you're in withdrawals being asked all of these questions. It seems like the city wants to make using drugs easier and then getting help to get off drugs as difficult as possible. Oh, it's, it's awful. And then, and then when, and then when they're losing their minds from this six hours of interviews and being enclosed inside and going through withdrawals when they're like, okay, I'll, can I come back and finish this tomorrow? They're like, thanks for wasting our time. And I was with him. I mean, I took him through this. And so a lot of that is, yes, because of the funding isn't where it needs to be. These services are not open and staffed the way they need to be. So to Daniel's question, yes, it absolutely has to do with the funds not being directed to where they need to be. Even though you Want know, to- often we talk about the politicians in, in, in these big blue Democrat run cities talk about throwing money at, at, at issues, right? Just throwing money at issues, but not necessarily using that money in the proper way. You know, where you get the most bang for your buck and a lot of the money gets, ends up getting wasted, which is obviously from your personal experience, what's happening here. Yeah, it is absolutely. And there isn't a lot of checks and balances. Um, the co-founder of my group, Gina McDonald, she's amazing in that she pulls all of these documents and she reads over them. And then she's like, Oh my gosh, they've got this much money going here. And then they're not having to account for this. And then these are the poor results they're getting over here. And there's no oversight or accountability. 
like it's incredibly incredibly frustrating that they get millions of dollars into these nonprofits and they don't have to prove that they have you know efficacy that they don't have to prove that they're doing that they're having successes it's you you mentioned Gina Gina McDonald um, she's yeah. also the co-founder. Now, Gina herself was an addict at one point. Is that right? She was. Um, yeah, she was a meth addict. And um, she's very outspoken about the fact that the only well was because the office found her on the streets eating her phone. Because meth obviously makes you psychotic in certain instances. And they put her in jail. And then she had, you know, she was told you can stay in jail or you can go to rehabilitation. Um, and she went to Delancey Street and they were amazing. And she is a powerhouse. She's amazing. She's a fire and passionate of this cause. And she's both sides as her daughter on the streets too so she knows what it's like to be an addict and she knows what it's like to be a parent of an addict and she thinks just like me san francisco's got it absolutely backwards they're not doing what needs to be done they're not putting resources where they need to be um so she's she's a great warrior and advocate for for change have you had any um, now? I should we should talk about this. The, the new billboard that you you put up um, has to do with with Corey specifically, right? And it's basically asking Joe Biden um, to do for Corey and other drug addicts what he did for his son Hunter, right? As far as getting Hunter off drugs. That's correct. Um, that ca- that came about because through my work with Mothers Against Drug Addiction and Deaths. Um, I've had so many people across the nation reach out to us and we started talking to other groups and other leaders that had similar values to us. And we said, why don't we make a North American coalition and, um, you know, to pull all of these people together and work on a national level. So Michael Schellenberg was actually the mastermind of that. Um, and he got a lot of people together in Seattle uh, just a few weeks ago. And we met, we decided on an agenda and we created North America recovers and you can look that up on North America recovers.org. And we decided to launch our coalition because we found out that I believe it's on February 6th that the Department of Justice will be making a decision on um, a lawsuit that was brought in Philadelphia about a safe consumption site um, called Safe House. And we really think that's going to make a precedent. And we're worried that because so many safe consumption sites are opening up even against federal and state laws, that the federal government is going to have to make a choice on these and this philosophy is going to really make them take a look at it 
And we decided to add Hunter Biden over the parent who has who has had a you know a child who's um, dealt with addiction. So I mean, he had the opportunity and sources to give Hunter the best care and rehabilitation and treatment. He certainly did. I mean, Hunter got top level treatment, I'm sure. I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, there was no dollars spared. I'm sure there were no hoops for Hunter to go through when he, when he, when he came to getting off an addiction. Addiction we saw, which was really bad, right? And we're talking about videos of him doing this stuff, videos of him doing drugs and prostitutes. And now he seems, as far as that level goes, as far as the addiction level goes, to be perfectly fine and, and uh, cured. And um, obviously, as you've been explaining, for the last hour, the resources here in San Francisco, while they sit, while they technically have them, it's it's just so de- difficult. It's so difficult for someone to actually go through the process of getting better here. It really is. So it's basically poor and middle class people um, have a very difficult time accessing it. And I've across the board in the United States. It's not just here in San Francisco. It's in other places as well. Um, if you have money, you can access the treatment that you need. Have you had any, I know I saw you on Fox a couple of times. Have you had any real response from that billboard from any politicians? Not directly from any politicians, no. Um, it's only been six days. <laughs> right. So I'm hopeful. <laughs> right. And I've been getting a, a lot of... Um, a lot of interviews and a lot of responses and a lot of other people are reaching out to me. So I'm just hoping that it's going to continue to build momentum. Um, that people are going to continue to talk about it. So we'll see. Um, I'm definitely hopeful. Well, I, I, I think we're in a, an interesting position here in San Francisco because People complain all the time about the homelessness. People complain all the time about the drug addicts on the streets. People complain all the time. And they all have these different ideas about, you know, how, how it can be, uh, you know, handled. Um, but obviously, it just keeps getting worse and worse. You know, I played a, a clip from Gavin Newsom from 2008 when he was becoming mayor of San Francisco. He promised, he promised that in 10 years, by 2018, there'd be no one on the streets of San Francisco. Uh, yeah, I remember that. that. You, you and I know it's gotten it got worse over those 10 years. It didn't get better. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it didn't get Sadly. Yeah. And, and his, his, whole, his whole model, in quotes, that he came up with was building, home, uh, building, building housing, right? That was right. his whole thing. We're going to build housing and we're going to put all these people on the streets into the home. It's so simple, right? Build it, get the people on the streets into the homes and the people here bought that. Oh, great idea. Oh, how nice. And, of course, it, it, it didn't work. Because we know that doesn't work. That's not the answer because these people have all these underlying issues that need to be dealt with, such as like your sons, like like drug addiction or or mental illness. And that those are the tougher things to deal with. Right. It's easy to say, oh, we're going to put money in, build buildings and throw people into buildings and and lock the doors. Right. Right. (laughs) That's but as, as you and I know, and as most people with with common sense know, that's that's not the answer. And it's been proven to not be the answer. Right. Yeah. 
and, and, and so it's, as I've always argued, it's always, it's, it's easy to virtue signal, but it's hard to actually do things to actually help people, right? And, and help the situation. And I think, and you, I'm sure you'll agree, we've gotten to the point in this city now where we've gotten so used to this, right? We've gotten so used to being around this that people often just accept it. Yeah, it's it's sad. I mean, they just kind of go about their day and, you know, and accept it. And then it's like, it's sad that we've gotten to the point where we walk right past someone who's completely passed out on the street and they might even be dead, but we don't, we don't give it a second thought. Yes. I've seen it many times. I've seen people lying in the streets many times and I don't know if they're alive or not. Yeah. I can't. Because of my son, I can't walk by someone like that. I probably annoy the homeless people so much because <laughs> I can imagine. I yeah, do. Right. I ask right. them all, "Are you okay?" <laughs> I have to make sure they they're okay. I'm like, oh. <laughs> Has your organization over the last year, year and a half that you've been around, have you gotten at any kind? I said you met with the DA. You met with with a couple of the board of supervisors. Have you gotten? the Board of Supervisors, to come up with any actual concrete legislation in order to address this problem? Unfortunately, no. Um, I do believe that we had something to do with getting Linkage Center closed um, because we gave them so much bad press about that. Absolutely. Yeah, no doubt about that. And then I do believe that we um, were part of why um, Governor Newsom rejected SB 57 because we were lobbying against that. We put a billboard in Sacramento and we sent lots of letters and were really outspoken about SB 57, which was going to allow um, safe consumption sites in California and some of the cities in California. Um, Scott Wiener headed that up and he was really disappointed when it didn't get passed, but we like, yay, we had a win there. Yeah. Um, Any disappointment for Scott Wiener? Is a is a, uh, a victory for most of us. Yes, I agree. <laughs> it's a victory for most of us. <laughs> you know, so you know that that was definitely a victory. But yeah. you know, as far as the the new billboard, where you're appealing more to the you know uh, federal level, right? You're appealing to Joe Biden. Yeah. Um, trying to go past, I guess, the city levels to the federal level and trying to get Joe Biden to do something. Do you do you think that Joe Biden and the Biden administration does doesn't want to deal with this issue. And I think you were so, I I love both of your billboards. I thought the billboard about warning tourists, you know, about how easy it is to get fentanyl. I thought that was a great billboard and it was very personal and it spoke to a lot of the problems, you know, people like we've talked about with fentanyl now, and I think people are starting to get it. It's not so much fentanyl overdose, it's fentanyl poisoning, right? Right. Because so many people who are, 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 are taking in fentanyl, not knowing, we hear stories and look, okay, I, t- I live in the big city. You're close to San Francisco. We talk about big city problems, but we're seeing a lot of middle American kids who are dying in their bedrooms, right? It's so sad. Yeah, because they're thinking they're getting one thing and they're getting this. They don't realize they're getting fentanyl. Right. You know, and, and so much, so many things are laced with it. But do you think that the Biden administration and Joe Biden doesn't want to deal with this because they don't, he, personally, he doesn't want to go there because his son was an addict and also on a more political level because the borders are wide open. He doesn't want to talk about closing the borders. 
That's what I think it is. I think it has more to do. I think it's more on a political level, to be honest with you. And I think that his advisors are probably telling him that we can't, we need to kind of steer away from this because it's, it's, yeah. I, you know, I'm okay with people coming into the country as long as they do it legally but I'm not okay with all of these drugs coming into the country. And it's obvious that that's one of the major ways they're coming in. They're coming in from Canada though, also as well. Canada has got a mess up there. And I just learned this when I was in Seattle, um, when we were creating this North America recovers, we actually had some Canadians with us and we were talking to, um, some of the Canadians, because they're doing something very different in Alberta than what they're doing in Vancouver, which in my opinion, Vancouver is an absolute failure. Alberta is using the model that um, Portugal and the Netherlands have used, um, which I think is going to be so much more successful than what Vancouver is doing. Um, but anyway, I apologize. I lost my train of thought. It's midnight. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 and I appreciate you coming on this late. I know, you know, I've seen you on um, on Fox and Friends in the morning with Todd Pyro, and that was like what one or two in the morning our time. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so I figured if she does that, she can come on my show. <laughs> no, I'm very happy to be here. It's just, it's been one of those weeks though where I'm like doing interviews at like eleven or twelve, and then I did a Portugal interview at five thirty a.m., and then I'm like back. So I'm doing. Like late at night and early in the morning. <laughs> well, no, you're really, you're really, you know, you 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 have a personal stake in this, so you're really Absolutely. getting, no, you know. getting the message out and educating people is so incredibly important to me that I that I don't like turning down interviews um, because I want people to understand what's going on, and I even get some flack for that because people are like you might have a good message, but I'm not going to listen to it because you went on Tucker. I'm like, are you telling me that because Tucker has a conservative audience that those citizens of the United States don't deserve to be educated on this and, and know how to protect their children. I said, it doesn't, I, I my agenda is apolitical, but, I will go wherever someone will give me a voice and I'm not going to decide that because Tucker is controversial that I'm not going to use his platform to give out my message when he's the second most. Oh, it's it was the highest rated show. It's one of the highest rated shows in the country. It is. It is like the highest rated show in the country. Him and Greg Hartfield. So I don't, this is a stupid, stupid, it's just a stupid thing, you know, because people can, there's a whole half of this country who thinks Rachel Maddow is controversial to mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's so silly. If you, you know, if you want to, if you wanted to please all people all the time, you'd go on no shows. I mean, that's exactly. That's exactly right. I wouldn't be talking to anybody. Yeah, it's ridiculous. But I, uh, yeah, so yeah. I, you know, because I went on Tucker, I've come in contact with so many, you know, parents that just want someone to talk to and um, other people that want to learn more, uh, people that want to get the message out. So it's a win, in my opinion. Oh, there's, there's no doubt about it. There's, let me, um, Daniel's, I think Daniel wants to come on. So let me see. If I can uh, do this without, I don't want to knock you off. I might have to just invite Daniel to speak. Maybe we can do it this way. 
and then Daniel can ask you a question. Okay. Daniel, Daniel, are you able to speak, Daniel? Can you unmute your mic? Let me see. Let's try that again. Let's see. Can I unmute him? <laughs> well, I invite him to speak, so he should be able to. I he, see a little muted. Yeah, he should be able to. He should be able to do that. But maybe he can't. We'll keep talking until until he figures it out. Um, okay. Because if I make him the next caller, I'm going to knock I'm gonna knock you off. So I don't, we don't do that. Yeah, he said it's not working. I don't really understand your question, Daniel. You said something about. Um, let me take a look at this. Yeah, he, he wanted to know where? Where, the, where the push for the linkage centers was coming from. Like, what? Who? Who was pushing for the linkage center? Who wanted the linkage center? Who, yeah, I guess they were saying who wanted the linkage center. Yeah. Mm, that was mostly the nonprofits. Health Right Three Sixty, I think, was was I know was a big um, push for that, and they talked the mayor into going along with it. So they they did, and and it took them. Oh, I think Daniel might be figuring it out because he's in the speaker section now. So hopefully he's able to unmute his mic. Uh, <laughs> so it was that was a actually a big. Uh, a big push for London Breed and a big, a big uh, kind of a black eye for her, wasn't it? In the end, a kind of what? A black eye for London I Breed. I think so. Yeah. Well, what was really frustrating is, so when they announced that they were going to open this linkage center um, in the Tenderloin that would link people to services, we were so my group was so excited about it because we said, yes, it's right where it needs to be to help people get services that they need. And so we were all for it. And then we found out that they were allowing drug use inside of the linkage center. And that's what really upset us. And that's why we protested because we thought this should be one place, a safe space where they can go, you know, for a half hour, an hour to not even think about using or buying or anything, just feel normal, come back and, you know, have some peace and, and think about other things other than drugs. Um, so we protested when they found out that they were allowing drug use and, and even some sales inside of the linkage center because we felt like it should be a respite from that. Exactly. I, I think Daniel's on. Daniel, can you speak now? Yeah, it took me a while to figure there it out go. tonight. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it wasn't just a one-click red button for the, for this evening. I had to uh, click a number of things. I just want to say um, thank you. Thank you for, for speaking to us and educating um, uh, us about this. Um, I have met over the last three years so many courageous people who have been dealing with new problems um, because of COVID policy and old problems amplified by COVID policy. And, uh, and um, so many courageous people step up for, to the plate for personal reasons and just because they can't turn away from the problems. And I just want to thank you for being so courageous. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. I really appreciate that. And you, you've had some really great questions. Um, it's been awesome as well. I thank you so much for being here and thank you for wanting to learn. Um, because so many people, they, I mean, unless it affects them personally, they, a lot of times people will just ignore it. So, so, so true. 
So I, I'm really grateful that, that you're willing to learn and, and to try to understand. And maybe you can put, you know, add your voice and be part of the solution because the people that are pushing for what I like to call radical harm reduction and ignoring that we need more treatment and, and um, recovery, they are so well banded together. Um, and, and we need to get to that point as well. Like they're at every board of supervisors meeting and they're speaking. Part of the issue with my group is we all work full time. So I don't know how they're able to go to all these meetings. <laughs> Maybe they all work nice or something. But um, we call we listen to the board of supervisors meetings while we are doing our jobs, while we're at work. Um, and we try to call in too, but we, we're not able to go personally. So it's just things like that that make it difficult for us to fight with with that because they're so organized. Um, so, yeah, I, it's it's just great to have encouragement from people like you, Daniel. I really appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'm going to sign off. And, and once again, thank you. Thank you, Daniel. Thanks, Daniel. I appreciate it. Now, uh, this is going to be a, a, maybe a difficult question, maybe too broad of a question. But, Jackie, if you were elected mayor of San Francisco, and you'd be a much better mayor of London Breed, if you were elected mayor of San Francisco, do you have any just a, 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 a like a concrete plans that you would put into effect or try to get legislation passed that you feel could, let's say, in a year's time, really, really make a dent in, in the in the fentanyl issue and in the issue of people on the street, homeless people on the street with drug addiction? Yeah, that is a tall order. Um, but I definitely, so first off, I think it's extremely important to start putting money into treatment and recovery. And in order to do that, we need to give incentives um, for hiring. Uh, we need to be paying people and attracting the right people in order to come in and staff the treatment and recovery um, that we need. I would also, we, we need to do the same with law enforcement. And I think to get all of this started, we need to stop being the health right 360 and um, the sheriff's department and the police department and the board of supervisors. They all need to work together right now. They're very siloed. And they're not talking to each other and communicating with each other as well as they need to be to work out these situations. So I think I would have regular meetings with the leaders of all of those um, organizations. Um, I definitely would look into calling in the National Guard. Interesting. Yeah. Um, and... But treating it like it's a it's a, a real a real pressing emergency. Well, it a is. Yeah, which it is. Which it is. People are dying yeah. on the day. More people than than um, you know that that died of COVID, and it's and these drugs are flooding the community, and they're also going out into the other counties. It's all coming. It's coming into San Francisco. And then people are getting on BART. My son tells me he sees this all the time. Younger and younger people are coming into the city and they're buying fentanyl and they're taking it out to the suburbs. 
Um, and I just feel like it's going to get worse and worse. And we're going to see more and more kids in the suburbs being exposed to these drugs um, and dying from them. And when I talk about considering bringing in the National Guard, I'm talking about because of the drug cartel, not necessarily to start, you know, I don't want them to start rounding up addicts and pushing right, them around. Right, 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 right. Only about the drug sales, um, putting pressure on the dealers because there's none, right? Absolutely none right now, which is ludicrous to me. People can deal drugs in this city without any possible worry about being arrested, right? I mean, that's basically the way it is now. They have impunity. Impunity, yes. Good word. Exactly. And so, <clears throat> if, you, if in other words, what you would do, and it makes sense to me, is treat this like a war, which it is. Yeah, it is. It absolutely is. And I mean, the, the fact that we have, I mean, we literally have litter that is tainted with these drugs all over our streets and the kids can't get, go to parks without risk of being exposed to needles that are contaminated. Um, it's just, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's just crazy. It's so frustrating. And the rat problem in the city, I just see it like kind of boiling over and, and then just, we're going to see worse and worse problems. The rat problem in the city is really bad and it's only getting worse because you have people living on the streets and using the streets as toilets and not having proper places to put their garbage. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course that's going to bring in more rats. And then the rats are running around in the parks. And, and this is a city that's where was, was concerned for two years about wearing masks. Uh, when you get up from your table in a restaurant to go to the bathroom, they're, they're worried about that. that. That's not insane. Yeah. It, but the children can play in rat infested paraphernalia infested parks. But you can't, you, you have to wear a mask to walk to the bathroom. It it's boggles my mind. Well, it's a broken city. It's a broken system. We've talked about that many times. You yeah. Know, I, I can't tell you how many times I'm walking on the street and I see a hypodermic needle right in the middle of the sidewalk. Yeah. Now, I, I, have, I have sneakers on, but they can go through the sneakers, but I'm careful walking. But how about a dog? Mm-hmm. But little kids walking on the street or, or people walking their dogs. And these hypodermic needles are literally in the middle of the streets, in the middle of Union Square, in the middle of the tourist area. They just, you know, I, I've seen people lately in the middle of the street shooting up drugs at the reading afternoon. I'm sure you see the same thing. Absolutely. I mean, literally in the middle of the street. Just, well, just, and I can't, yeah. like, if you think about even raising your child there, and children are so inquisitive, so they're going to be asking, what is that when they see a syringe on the street? And what are they doing when they see someone shooting up? How How do you even approach that with your child and and when they see it so often to help them see that it's not okay this is going to sound incredibly cynical especially to a mother but i would not raise a dog in this city let alone a child yeah i, I mean it's, just, it's not the place to raise a family right now it's just, it's just not it's not i agree <laughs> i think some people may feel stuck because of their, you know, their jobs or this is where their family is. And this is, so they have, 
you know, maybe they're working in the city and then their parents are in the city and they're taking care of, they're the ones that do the childcare or something. I don't know. There's a lot of reasons why people could be stuck in the city, but that's what I'm, I'm saying about like the fact that what we're doing to the kids of San Francisco, I'm, I'm afraid for their future um, because they're seeing the normalization of this and they're going to grow up and they're going to say, it's okay to be a drug dealer. They make really good money or it's okay to use drugs or to try it because I've seen other people doing it. What we're talking about is a totally broken system. And I, I wanted to get your opinion. Speaking of a broken system, I'm sure you saw the video about two weeks ago of the store owner, that gallery owner that sprayed the homeless person yeah. uh, in the chest with water for a few seconds. And yeah. of course, of course, someone just happened to be recording that at that time. Right. Right. And, and and this is one of my problems with Brooke Adams. She had him arrested. She pressed charges, even though the homeless person didn't want to press charges. The homeless person said, I don't want to press charges. They still did that. And, you know, they don't press charges in the city against against rapists, <laughs> but they press charges against this guy for squirting. This on. And, and as we learn more about the issue, we learned that this guy went to the city many, many times. Yeah. To try to get this person removed from outside his gallery. It was it was it was not inviting for people to come into his business with this homeless person setting up shop outside. And uh, he went to the city. He went to the, the police said, sorry, pal. He went to the, he called London Breed's office. He called city hall. I think he made like 20 or 30 different calls. And he finally, he was so frustrated and he had talked to the homeless person himself. Several yeah. Times. He squirted this little bit of water and he gets arrested. Do you, what, what is your take on that whole thing? Is that just basically proof of a, of a broken system of a broken city? It absolutely is. And when I saw that video, my heart broke for both of them. Exactly. Was, exactly. Yeah. Right. I was horrified because this, you know, mentally ill wo woman and it's cold outside and she's getting sprayed with water. But I also was like, oh my gosh, I, I, to understand that he was, when I read the article later that he was appalled with himself, you know, for having done that. I, I understand that kind of frustration when you get pushed to the edge like that. And um, he he feels helpless to, to do anything. And, and that is absolutely a broken system. And I see that over and over again lately. I, you know, when I was a kid, I grew up <laughs> believing you call the police and they come. Right. You ask for help from your government officials. Um, that's not the case anymore. You are left. And I see this because I, I work for the Alameda County Sheriff's office. I work in the civil section. We mm -hmm. deal with restraining orders and, um, you know, evictions and things like that. And I have to tell you, it breaks my heart on how often people are left to just deal with this stuff on their own and nobody is there to help them. Like people, like homeless people are breaking into their homes or their rental properties. There was one man that came in last week and he had someone living underneath his house. Incredible. And the person had tapped into his pipes and his electricity. Oh, are you serious? I'm serious. Because he had like a big, like under underground crawl space and the person was living there and had tapped into the water and the electricity and he was living down there and the police would not evict him. They, they did not, they, they couldn't do anything because he didn't have a court order to have this person evicted. 
<laughs> living under his house. Is that got, not in the house? Under the house. Is that under, insane? Yeah. Of course, but it's, it's 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 no common sense, right? It's no common sense. No law, laws, basically, is what it comes down to. It's like we know this is what always frustrates you know with this and other issues. I guess frustrated is that we get people who know it's not right, right? Who know it's an issue? Who know? Like in that situation, those people know that guy should not be allowed to be down there. He should be forced out. Right. Yet, yet they, they, they all follow this mantra of, a, of, of no common sense laws. And when, when they know what they're doing is wrong, right? Right. That, that's the most frustrating thing. It's like these people don't know better. It's like the police don't know better. It's like the city doesn't know better. But they follow this. They, 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 in other words, we, 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 we're going to follow this lack of logic to this full to to the fullest extent possible and that's the that's the problem and there's no one around to say to shake them up and say no this is not this is not the way to do things this is broken and like you said with with that guy who was scoring the woman there, there are two victims in that video the store owner and the homeless person right right yeah and the people who are at fault as you and i will agree are the city right the, the lack of leadership that's the problem right that is the problem yeah. Uh, good leadership. Yes, absolutely. And and so will we change mayors here? We change DAs. We, you know, we kick one DA out. We put another DA in and we, we in New York, they, you know, they, 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 they vote out. They vote in someone who says he's going to, you know, he's a former cop. And he's going to change things. And a year later, things are just worse. So, you know, I. I guess the question is, and it's probably a rhetorical one, is do you think in, in the major cities like San Francisco or New York, do you think people are going to finally hit rock bottom and say they have to make some real changes when it comes to the leadership? Or are they just going to continue in a zombie-like fashion, basically electing the same person over and over again? I think it's going to change. We swing back and forth. <laughs> um, and I think we always swing really far one way and then we swing really far the other way and we don't realize when we're in the sweet spot <laughs> in the middle where we should be um i have to hope that we're going to wake up and make changes because we cannot keep going like we are or our future generations are doomed what is your Tough question to ask. But what is your, what is your feeling about Corey's future? I was feeling really, really scared about it, and really concerned and hopeless about it um, until I talked to him last night. And then when I talked to him last night, it gave me hope again because there was a lot of clarity and I told him about the campaign again that I've been doing and he really agreed with it. And I also told him that I realized he needed to get out of the city in order to get well, um, that him getting treatment in the city, no matter where it is, wouldn't work for him because there are too many triggers there. Um, What's really frustrating is with Medi-Cal, you have to, 
use it in the city that, or the county that you got it in. And his Medi-Cal's in San Francisco right now. So, and, and he, he, he can't be successful getting well in San Francisco. It's just not possible. I, I didn't realize that. I thought Medi-Cal was statewide. I didn't realize it was only, I, I didn't realize it was county specific. I thought it was that state was, specific. Yeah, it, it is statewide, but it's like you have to, you use it, you have to access it in the county that you live in. And that was something new that I learned as well. Oh, and like that's so frustrating because there's actually no, if you live in Riverside, because I learned this too, um, not Riverside, um, Bakersfield. Mm -hmm. If you live in Bakersfield, there is actually no treatment and recovery facilities in Bakersfield. So you have to go to um, Los Angeles County. But in order to do that, you jump through all these hoops to get your Medi-Cal transferred to that county in order to be able to access treatment. Incredible. Once again, making people go through these ridiculous, no common sense hoops. Exactly. When you just want to get help. Yeah. When they just want to get help. Yep. Well, the good thing about Corey, from what I've, I've talked to you, you know, about him a few times, is that he he does seem to to at least be in the situation where he knows the problem, right? Yeah. He wants to get over the problem. He's not in the situation where it's like this is my life. I want to do this. Too bad. This is the way it's going to be. He's got that wherewithal. And that yeah. To to know that this is not a good ending, right? If it keeps right. going this way. Well, he got himself on methadone, which was amazing to me that he was actually able to do that. And I think it was partially because I had taken him to different places and we'd been trying to work it out together. And finally, he just was able to, he found out, you know, he saw from what I showed him what he needed to do. Um, and he made that happen. And I think, and he has a counselor that it seems like is fairly decent for him. So there are you know, there's some good people in the city. It's just not, you know, it's like a needle in a ha haystack of <laughs> finding the person that's going to be able to help you navigate and get through things. And he's still running into a lot of issues where I feel where I feel like I have to take off of work to go help him with certain things because he gets the runaround whenever he tries to get like general assistance or get onto housing or anything like that. Well, th this is also like just it, it really proves he's and he's got someone to help him here. He's got a mother who cares and wants to help them. It's, it's to think about the people who don't have any of that, right? People who don't have any, those kinds of resources, anyone out there who's, who's their advocate. It's impossible. Yeah. It's absolutely impossible. Cause it's hard for me as you know, his mother to be doing this. Yeah. So, so how can an addict without a watch or transportation or a phone navigate this? It's, near it's impossible oh i i know people who would who are not homeless who have no drug addiction problems but have maybe low income they lose a job and just them navigating online the way to get help is difficult you know there's so many hoops to go through so many forms to fill out that's very that, true. that even people who have no addictions and are perfectly fine no mental health issues and have a home have trouble doing this i can only imagine people on the streets yeah do this. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's crazy. It's way too difficult. And, and again, we get back to where, you know, we need the caseworkers and we need people that can help with this, but they're paid so poorly. Terribly, um, yes. Not very, a lot of very low income. They're not paid much at all. 
Right. And it's hard work. I mean, it really is hard work. Um, so I, I, you know, I feel for them. And the burnout is, is very real. I'm sure, especially when they're short staffed, like in so many jobs right now, because of COVID, like everybody's short staffed. Everybody's short staffed. If, if there are people listening and they want to go to mothersagainstdrugtest.org, what can they do to help? What can people out there who are listening to this and say, I want to help. I don't know how, what can they do? So they can reach out to us and let us know that they want to get on our mailing list and they want to um, help. They want to get involved in activities and come, you know, to board of supervisory meetings or there's so many things that they can do. We're also going to be starting a support group. So if there are um, families out there, family members, people that have family members who are on the streets and they just want to talk to somebody who might understand the situation that they're going through we are available to do that as well. Um, because I mean, we have a member that joined our group recently that was suffering in silence. Um, when, cause she didn't know how to help her son and she was ashamed and she was so upset. She ended up trying to commit suicide cause she just bottled it all, wow. all up. But now she's in our group and she said that we've given her a voice and we're her purpose. And she has been amazing. She's just doing so much to advocate for her son um, and for the situation. So, yeah, I mean, just reaching out to us is the biggest thing and letting us know that you want to get involved. And then we are pretty good at kind of figuring out where you might be a good fit or what might work for you. Um, of course, Money is always, <laughs> donations are always sure. welcome. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we work full time, but we also, we have expenses. Like we go into the city. I take off of work a lot of times and I'll go into the city and, you know, there's 20, $25 here and there for parking, $40 for this. It's, we spend our own money on that, which is fine. But I mean, and there's other things, you know, we, the billboard and um, just a lot of different, you know, expenses. So there is a way to donate on our website as well. If someone would like to do that. Um, if you'd like to get involved on a national level, go to North America recovers.org and um, let us know that you'd like to be involved in that way as well. Uh, yeah. So. Well, I would certainly hope that the latest billboard where you try to appeal to Joe Biden's humanity and say, you know, you help your son with drug addiction, help my son, other people with addiction um, do something about it. I hope that at least, you know, I hope, I hope the message at least gets to him. I hope someone shows him the billboard, a photo of it or something. And there's something, you know, once again, I'm not very optimistic with this president. There's no shock to anyone who listens to this show. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, but I'm hoping that appealing to someone as a human, uh, you know, mother, mother to a father, hopefully something will be done there. Yeah, Mike, I hope so. And, and I mean, Honestly, that's another thing that the listeners can do, too, is just to try to is speak out and tell their stories if they have someone in their family that they've loved that's been addicted or been touched by this. They're really we need to break the stigma of this and not be ashamed if someone feels ashamed and they don't want to talk about it. That's you know, that's fine. They can come talk to us and maybe they'll start feeling more comfortable about speaking out. But if they do feel comfortable speaking out, I think it's it's very healthy and it's a it's actually a good thing to do. And they'll find that other people will reach out to them and start talking about their experiences as soon as they start sharing as well. 
Exactly. Jackie, now that you have the app and you're on, you have to come on more often. We'll talk more. If there are any <laughs> updates, you have to come on and tell us about it. I would you know, love whether, whether it's with Corey or the, or the mission or new billboards or whatever it may be. Let's not, we don't have to do this once a year. We can do it more often than that. Right? I would love to <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Ja- Jackie, thanks for staying up so late. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I enjoyed talking with you and Daniel. And yeah, it was, it's been great. Jackie, thanks a lot. And, and once again, good luck with everything. Thank you. We'll sure. be in touch. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Good night. Good night. Uh, okay. So once again, that was Jackie Berlin, Mothers uh, Against Drug Deaths. And you can go to mothersagainstdrugdeaths.org. And you can find out more about who they are. There's a lot of personal stories, including Jackie's and others. And you can also sign up for the newsletter and you can get on and you can help. And hopefully we can we can put some kind of a dent into this and really get this message out to the leaders locally, whether it's the mayor or governor or president, that fentanyl is is not going away and it's only going to get worse until there's some real concrete common sense, uncommon sense, as we like to say on this show, action taken on this. All right. This is also a 300 of the show. And I was very honored to have Jackie on for the 300 of the show. Um, a lot of podcasts behind me, a lot of podcasts to come, including this one tomorrow night. Remember, this show airs. It's called Unless Be Heard. It airs Monday night through Friday night, 11 p.m. Pacific, 2 a.m. Eastern. And uh, I'm Mike Kachopoli, and I want to remind you, as always, that your influence counts. Use it.